Hey, it's me, Chris T, here on this Aerial View, this Day of the Dead edition of Aerial View, and uh, today I thought I would talk about some of those folks in my life who have merged with the infinite, as I like to say. They're no longer around, and uh, that's what happens. As you age, you lose people along the way, and it's inevitable. It's going to happen. There's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing to be done about it. 
you have to just kind of accept it whether you want to or not because you uh, don't have any say in the matter. So uh, what I've done is I've put together an alphabetical list of those folks who have uh, left my orbit and journeyed to another plane. And this list goes back, I want to say 10 years, but it might go back a little further than that. It might go back uh, to the turn of the century. That might be a good place to start. And um, it's alphabetical just because of the Greek in me and the fact that I like the alphabet as an organizing principle. It is uh, the first thing that we learn. Everybody understands it. And why get fancy? I could have gone chronologically, but frankly, this is all taking place extemporaneously, all off the top of my head, so... By the way, this is Aerial View on the HoundNYC.com. And uh, don't forget New Hound Howls every Sunday, 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Time, followed by Crash in the Party. And uh, Mark and Miriam bring you the doo-wop chop shop of the air. So let's see who's first on our list, shall we? Ah, yes. Bill Berger. Bill Berger, former WFMU DJ air personality. I'm not sure what to call him, but I met Bill probably in 1986. First year I showed up down at WFMU. And uh, Bill was a good guy. Always nice to me. And uh, we always had a few laughs together. He liked to smoke and drink, and so did I. And I usually... We um, could make each other crack up. I uh, respected his taste in music. Didn't always agree with his taste in music. I knew that as somebody on the talk side of things at WFMU that um, I was way out of my depth when it came to talking about music with any of the people who were really up music's butt. And Bill Berger was definitely up music's butt. Uh, He not only um, had a wide breadth of knowledge of uh, everything out there, but he performed himself. He composed and wrote and played and sang. Um, He had apparently addiction issues, which eventually overcame him. And that will be a running motif on this list of uh, people who died. On this Day of the Dead, as I review some of those who have merged with the infinite. Next on my list is uh, someone who passed away recently. And to whom I was related through marriage, my Uncle Chet. And uh, Uncle Chet was a, uh, a real New Jersey figure. He could have been Paulie Walnuts from The Sopranos. He, uh... <laughs> Ran numbers back in the day. He um, was a Korean War vet. And after he passed, I got to see these pictures of him taken during the Korean War that kind of blew my mind. Uh, he he was actually um, like a medic or a medic's assistant. And it was like real life MASH stuff. I don't know how else to describe it. But um, Uncle Chet was well into his... 
70s uh, when I became part of the family, so I didn't know him very long, but according to Sweet Tea, he was her favorite, a great uncle, great guy to know, um, and somebody you wouldn't want to mess with necessarily. He managed to stay upright for a good number of years. I think he made it to the age of 89. And I consider it a minor miracle if I made it to the age of 79. Let's put it that way. The number here, by the way, on Aerial View is 760-I-CALL-AV. 760-422-5528. 760-422-5528 if you'd like to share. Somebody that you know who uh, joined the choir divine let's see uh, so that was Uncle Chet so who else is on the list the list in this case is not life it's actually the opposite on this uh, Dio de los Muertos Donna Randall wow it's a name I hadn't uh, thought of in a while but Donna Randall was uh, kind of pivotal in my life. I met her probably in 1984 or 85 in Hoboken, New Jersey, before I had actually moved there. And uh, I met her outside a party on a, a landing outside the apartment door. We weren't outdoors. We were just outside the apartment door on this landing. I had gone there to brood and smoke, and I was brooding because there was a woman in the party who um, didn't feel about me the way I felt about her. Let's put it that way. And so I made myself scarce like I do when I'm pouty. And uh, before long, Donna was joining me. And, you know, she was uh, she was delivering a pep talk, which is exactly what I needed at that moment. But I didn't need the corny kind of pep talk. You know, the one where... Somebody's like, oh, you're great, and you'll be fine, and blah, blah, blah. She was like saying, listen, you don't, you don't, you don't want to be involved with that woman anyway. Believe me, I know. I know her, and she's not everything you think she is, and just forget it. And we became friends, and... um she might have been one of the reasons why. Actually, she was the reason why, now that I think about it. Uh, the reason I moved to New Jersey, because she was married to this uh, guy, Jeff, who, um, by the way, is coming up on the list. Because <laughs> he's no longer with us either. Um, she was married to him when I met her in Hoboken. But if some years later, uh, well, actually maybe a year or two later, she was divorced from him. And uh, I I was visiting her in Manhattan with her new guy on the west side of Manhattan. And uh, she told me that her ex was looking for a roommate. And I had been to her house. I had seen this beautiful house in Tenafly that they were living in. And I thought, really? I could I could move into that house? Well, that's that's pretty neat. So I called this guy up, this guy Jeff. And the next thing you know, I was a resident of New Jersey. So thanks, Donna. For that and uh, Donna had one of the best senses of humor uh, she I, and I think that's another running motif here is that I, I seem to only associate with people who have good senses of humor and um, she moved down to New Orleans uh, 
I would say in the late 80s, and she lived all over, uh, you know, the Garden District, um, Uptown, the French Quarter several times, and I would visit her and Dave, her uh, eventual husband, wherever they happened to move in, in the French Quarter, Uptown, Garden District, wherever it was, and we would always have one hell of a good time. She loved to have a good time. That might be another running motif here as I review uh, some of the people I know who have merged with the infinite on this Day of the Dead. This is uh, Aerial View, which airs every Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and uh, replays Tuesdays, 6 p.m. here on thehoundnyc.com. And then it becomes a podcast, uh, usually on Friday nights if I can get to it. Depends on... uh, just how quickly I can turn things around. But you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. And tonight on this Dio de los Muertos, uh, we're reviewing some of the people I know who no longer walk among us and will be missed. And uh, Donna Randall, you will be missed. Next on my list is uh, another WFMU person. Namely, Frank Ballesteri, a.k.a. the Vanilla Bean. And Frank was a bit of a mystery to me. I can't say that I got to know him well. Uh, I can say that he's uh, one person, and again, here's that theme that made me laugh consistently. Just a funny guy. And also someone who struggled with his uh, addiction demons. And... Seems to have been overtaken by them. And uh, for me, I, whenever I think of Frank, uh, a.k.a. the Vanilla Bean, I will think of that record fair um, when he passed on. I was working the WFMU record fair. I was I was working the front door. I don't know if I was some kind of ersatz security or what exactly I was, but Frank came to join me, and uh, I'm... I don't think I was smoking, but maybe he was, and we were standing outside, and we were talking, and we were getting caught up because I hadn't seen him in a while, and he was telling me about his struggles and how well he was doing, and that he was in a halfway house, and it wasn't far away, and he was going to get to see his kid, and uh, I bid him good night, and I went home, and the next morning uh, when I got back to the record fair, first person I saw was Irene Trudell and she said have you heard about Frank and I said no what about him she said he died he died last night and it it was one of those things where I I think I said the stupidest thing a person can say under those circumstances I just saw him as if that means anything as if just seeing somebody means somehow magically they're still with us but he had uh, he had slipped off to a uh, hotel or a motel near the Lincoln Tunnel, and he got a fatal dose, and now he's gone. So long, Frank. So long, Vanilla Bean. Um, we go from Frank Balistieri to another WFMU personality, DJ Frank O'Toole, who left us not that long ago, and he had a. Uh, some kind of terminal disease. I'm going with cancer. 
Uh, I'm not particularly sure, but cancer's a motherfucker. So uh, I think it might have been cancer. And Frank um, was a guy who had been around much longer than me. I always, uh, uh, you know, when I initially showed up there, would get a sidelong glance from Frank. Like he couldn't quite figure me out. He couldn't, didn't quite know where I was coming from or what I was up to or what my whole bag was about. And um, I experienced that a lot because, again, you know, I, I was working the talk radio side of the street. And there were a lot of people who didn't understand what that had to do with anything or, or, or its place in the whole world of WFMU and, and just thought that anybody who wanted to do talk radio was trying to be Howard Stern or some damn thing. But that wasn't the case. You know, I was exploring a whole other side of talking on the radio and, and it was a very personal side and it was a very, um, very introspective side while also trying to make people think and make people laugh. And, you know, often I would fail at all those things. But I think a lot of what I did uh, early on, especially with Aerial View, um, you're now hearing in a lot of podcasts and a lot of other uh, interior-driven type of uh, shows where it's, it's one person, one host, and they're talking about their lives. I think I did that a lot way early on and also took phone calls from people and I, I don't know that folks like Frank really knew where it fit where all of it fit into the pantheon but um, he was another person who I got along with well and I can't say that about everybody at WFMU I didn't get along with everybody they didn't get along with me but uh, Frank and I we we didn't uh, get on each other's hackles I suppose is the way I want to say that. You're listening to Aerial View on the HoundNYC.com. It is a Day of the Dead, November 1st, and so I'm reviewing some of those people who I've lost since, uh, I'm going to say, the turn of the century. But this one here, I think, goes back even a little further than the turn of the century. Uh, and it's, uh, it's my Aunt Is, Isabel Cooksey who, uh, another mystery wrapped in a riddle inside of an enigma. We don't really know all that much about Aunt Is. Uh, we think we do, but she was adopted. Uh, she showed up in my family in the 1940s, uh, apparently during World War II, when she was working at Grumman, and my grandmother and my grandfather were also working at Grumman. Grumman, Grumman was an aerospace factory... Uh, in Bethpage on Long Island. And it employed a lot of people, especially during the war. You know, when you think of uh, Rosie the Riveter, you could think of someone like my, my Aunt Isabel, although Isabel, as far as I know, wasn't riveting things. I, I think she was mostly involved in wiring and soldering and those kinds of skills, although uh, I could be wrong, and I, I don't know who's still alive that would even tell me, but um, Anne Is was the saving grace of my childhood, along with my uh, grandmother, Evelyn, who um, I probably should have mentioned, but she passed on in the, I, I'm going to say 1980s, so uh, I'm trying to stay to some kind of time frame here, but, but Aunt Isabel is, as we called her, um, 
she, I think nowadays, would be called gender non-binary. She really didn't present as either male or female. You, she was mistaken all the time for, for a man. Uh, she kept her hair cut short. She smoked Pall Malls without the filters. She uh, wore man-cut clothing. She never, uh, when I knew her, wore a skirt or a dress. I mean, I, I have found pictures subsequently of her in a dress... And it somehow doesn't look right for the Ann is that I knew. So uh, why was she the saving grace of my childhood? Well, um, my aunt and my grandmother, they their house was a sanctuary for me. I would ride my bike over there when I couldn't take it at home anymore. And that was often because uh, my household was a very uh, conflict-ridden household. To put it mildly, uh, my brothers and sisters and I, we were always at each other's throats. Um, my parents were um, violent people. They visited violence upon their kids. And uh, my father, corporal punishment. My mother, uh, with the threats of corporal punishment, but mostly through verbal abuse. And so when it all got to be too much, I could go over to my aunt and my grandmother's house. They lived together and... Many years later, I started getting the idea that maybe they were shacked up together. Could they have been in a love relationship? Could that have been it? Is it possible? They were lovers? Hmm. Uh, No one in my family really wants to explore that possibility. I kind of have put it aside. Uh, Maybe someday I'll go back to it, try to get some clarity on it, as they say. Now is not the time. I will say my Aunt Isabel prided herself on her driving. She always had a functional car, and she would always take me wherever the hell I wanted to go. And sometimes she would do it uh, grudgingly, and other times she uh, loved to get out and go explore. And so we would be like uh, partners in crime. Um, She liked butter pecan ice cream. She liked boiled peanuts. She was from Ocala, Florida. She ran moonshine as a teenager, fresh-faced. They would put her in a car with a jump seat, and she carried the cutest little pearl-handled revolver, as she described it to me. I, uh, I couldn't imagine any of this when I knew her later on in life. But uh, once I started delving in some older pictures into... Because she was also a photographer and a pretty damn good one. She took a lot of stereo slides and, you know, I I took those and I scanned them some years back and they're really beautiful. But, um, and is, uh, someday I hope to do you some real justice and actually write in depth about you in a way that would bring you back. You're listening to Aerial View here on thehoundnyc.com. It's me, Chris T, until 7 p.m., And then Vintage Hound Shows once more. And uh, Sunday, don't forget, New Hound Howl at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Followed by Crash and a Party at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. We're going alphabetically through some people who have died. Those who have merged with the infinite since uh, roughly the turn of the century, 2000. And uh, I get to uh, the aforementioned Jeff on this list. I'm trying not to use last names here. I'm not sure why I'm being that circumspect, but I am. 
so bear with me. But uh, Jeff N., let's say, last initial N. Jeff uh, was a guy that I knew because of uh, playing out in, in bands, specifically in this case, the Nihilistics, and we would appear on the same bill as his band, which was called Drunken Driving, or Drunk Driving, I should say, not not Drunken, Drunk Driving. And um, Pete Missing was a member of that band. I, I went on to play in Missing Foundation with Pete Missing, but Jeff handled the guitar in drunk driving, and um, I knew him through Donna Randall, who was married to him, and then decided to divorce him, and that's when I ended up moving in with him. And moving in with him in this big old house in Tenafly, New Jersey, was uh, a real coming-of-age experience for me. I had never lived anywhere but in my childhood home, and uh, here I was, footloose and fancy-free and living on my own, with a little bit of money that I had from a, um, a lawsuit after being rear-ended by a checker cab in Jackson Heights in Queens. Uh, it might have been Long Island City. I don't want to make a liar out of myself, but I was I was at a red light in my new, uh, new-to-me 1972 Plymouth Sports Fury. I had just purchased it for, I think, $800. It had, uh, oh my God, it was a great car. It had a 360 under the hood. It had the hidden uh, headlights. Uh, It was fast as a motherfucker. The only thing I didn't like about that car was the color. It was shit brown. And uh, if I kept it, I I think I would have had it repainted. Something cool. Uh, But as I sat at the light with my friend Paul Bearer, the same Paul Bearer from Sheer Terror, we were going to see... Our friend EJ, who lived in Long Island City on 45th Street or Road or whatever the hell it was. Uh, When I I got knocked unconscious by the force of the impact of this checker cab. And um, we went careening down uh, whatever the, I think it was Jackson Boulevard. I'm not even sure. And if it wasn't for Paul slamming on the brake, reaching over and grabbing the wheel, I don't know what would have happened. But we uh, both stumbled out of the passenger side of the car into a spreading pool of gasoline from my ruptured fuel tank. It's a, a miracle that the car didn't explode. And uh, the woman with the checker cab, the, the cabbie went on to take out a fire hydrant. So in a very somatic ending to the whole scene, there was this uh, fire hydrant knock loose and water spewing 20, 30 feet in the air from the hydrant that she took out. Uh, and so I sued the cab company. I, I got um, something like 10 grand. The lawyer took uh, a whole chunk of that. Or it might have been 10 grand after the lawyer took his cut. I don't remember. And uh, that's the money I used to stake myself to a, to a move to New Jersey. And I often wonder if I have lingering back trouble because of that accident. But that's how I managed to move in with Jeff. And Jeff and I, um, who didn't know each other very well, we got to know each other well. There were things about Jeff I couldn't stand, including his drinking. He was an alcoholic, unfortunately. And uh, he was into his drugs. At one point, we even took a a ride in the delivery van he was um, given for his delivery job. Uh, we went up to Harlem, and he uh, he bought crack, and he smoked the crack in the delivery van. I didn't know what the hell it was. Never seen it. 
didn't know what it was, didn't know what he was doing. But um, when I reflected upon it later, I said, oh, yeah, that was crack. Crack is whack. But uh, the other thing about Jeff is that he liked to keep a cadre of young people around. And, uh, you know, I at that point was in my, um, what the hell? Well, let's see how, let's do some quick math. I would have been like 24, 25, 26, thereabouts. And uh, the, the kids that were hanging around the house were like 18, 17, underage, 19. I don't even know how the hell he met them. Uh, but it was, it was really starting to feel like a, like a bad idea. Like we, like we were going to all get arrested somehow or the good thing is that, uh, not long after I moved in, Jeff, uh, lit out for Arizona and he didn't really come back except at the holidays. Like his father who, uh, who was wealthy, uh, said, Hey, I want you to go stay with your mother while I look for a property on the, I don't know where the hell it was, East coast, wherever it was. Um, so he went out there and he didn't come back uh, except twice a year. He would come back at Christmas time and he would come back like around the 4th of July. And I pretty much had this, you know, four bedroom house, uh, which I think if I'm going to guess built in the 1920s, like a craftsman style, beautiful house. We really brought down the, uh, we really brought down the property values in that neighborhood. Let's put it that way. Uh, by all rights, we shouldn't have been there. Uh, we were surrounded by people uh, raising families, and, and we were just raising hell. Uh, but for $200 a month, believe it or not, uh, I got to live there for like five and a half years. So uh, thanks to Jeff and his generous family. Last time I saw Jeff, I uh, was... Um, bringing the cats down to North Carolina where he had moved with his mother and father to Asheville. And one of the cats was his, one of them was mine, but I couldn't take either of them to my new place in Edgewater. So he agreed to take both cats and uh, piled into a station wagon with some friends and we drove down there. And that's where he died, apparently. He had a apartment of his own next to the house or attached to the house and uh he came home drunk one night and he put a uh, pot of water on the stove to boil and fell asleep and uh the pot caught on fire and he was overcome by smoke inhalation and died so not one of the ways that i would choose to go personally this is uh, people who died. I'm reviewing some of those I knew who merged with the infinite here on this Day of the Dead. Number here on Aerial View is 760-I-CALL-AV, 760-422-5528. Now I get to a big one for me, my mother, Joan, who uh, passed away, I want to say, in 2011. And again, because uh, I'm doing this off the top of my head, forgive me if the dates aren't accurate. But, uh, um, you know, as I get older, I realize more and more the disconnect between me and my parents and me and my feelings about my parents and... Um, 
the sort of feelings that many people have about their parents, especially their mothers, uh, are almost entirely absent with me. And um, I didn't bond with either of my parents, I would say. Uh, My father is probably, you know, there was less of a bond than there was with my mother just because I lived with my mother for so many years. But I I, uh, always got the vague feeling my mother didn't care for me very much and that uh, if push came to shove, I would not be her favorite. Uh, I I don't think that's saying much because I, I do think that Uh, My brothers and I, we were unfortunately in the position of reminding my mother of my father. So uh, especially after the divorce came down in the early 70s, I think it wasn't good for us in that respect. I was the fifth of five children. I mean, my mother later on talked about how it wasn't her intention to have that many kids. It just kept happening. You know, every time your father looked at me, I got pregnant good Catholics as they were. I don't know. My father says they were using uh, birth control condoms and then he went on to explain that he thought my mother was putting holes in the condoms because she was a good Catholic. I find that hard to believe. Uh, But who the hell knows the truth anymore after all these years. I, I do know that when I see these TV shows or when I hear people talking about their mothers and the great love that they have for them, I I always feel guilty. I I feel terrible. I feel like uh, I should have felt that way about my mother. I should have loved her. And, you know, the rest of that, of course, is that she should have loved me. I, I don't think that happened for whatever reason. And, um... Certain things my mother said to me over the years, you know, kind of reinforced that. Uh, there was the famous incident one time I was there because I, I, you know, once I moved out, which was 1986, I used to go back for the holidays. So right, right around this time of year, just after Halloween, I would start the angst would start building up to unbelievable levels because I thought I got to go out there. I got to go out there. Oh dear God, I don't want to go out there. Oh God. Out there being 45 miles east of Manhattan to the South Shore of Long Island. And uh, no matter how you did it, whether you went on the Long Island Railroad, it was terrible. Because then you were on the goddamn Long Island Railroad. Or the Long Island Expressway stuck in traffic, that sucked too. That was no walk in the park. So uh, no matter how you sliced it, it sucked. But... uh, one of those times when I was out there, I remember we were getting out of the car. We probably just came back from a restaurant. And uh, we being, you know, one or two of my brothers, one of my sisters, who the hell knows what the combination was. But my mother distinctly remembers saying, you were the one who was supposed to make something of yourself. And I thought, okay, well, that's that's great. This was prior to me uh, getting my professional talk show job. So uh, she was around to see some of that and to hear some of that, so that was good. She got to see me make something of myself. And, and uh, when push came to shove, did I already use that expression? Pardon me if I'm using it again, but um, I might have made the most something of myself, of, uh, of my family. Uh, that depends on how you measure making something of yourself. I mean, my sisters reproduced. None of my brothers did. I didn't. 
So if that's making something of yourself, then I, I might have failed on that front. But I, uh, I earned a pretty good living, and I, I did quite well in terms of uh, doing what I wanted to do, being in radio and being on the radio. But uh, there is a, a large uh, wellspring of regret when it comes to my mom that we couldn't have had a better relationship, that we couldn't have had a more loving relationship, that we couldn't have had... Uh, that I couldn't have felt more support from her and more of this uh, stuff that I hear from time to time. People say about their mothers, like she told me I can be anything I want to be. I could do anything I wanted to do, that she would love me no matter what. It's That wasn't happening in my family. That kind of stuff was not happening. And it didn't happen. And um, all these years of therapy later, and I've been through years of therapy, and you could think whatever you want about therapy. I, I, I think it's like taking your car to the mechanic. You know, you've got to get tuned up every now and then. And I got to go and get tuned up. But, um, you know, there's still unanswered questions about uh, why it had to be that way and it couldn't be some other way. Um, but before I run out of road, we've got another, oh, uh, 20 minutes or so in the program. And I, and I do have a few more names on this list that I want to get to. Uh, next alphabetically would be my sister, who was also named Joan. We called her Joni. She uh, passed away at the age of 47 or 48 of uh, lung cancer that became brain cancer because that's what lung cancer does. And uh, Joni was the middle child, so it was difficult for her. She also um, came in for relentless mocking from us as when we were kids, us being my brothers and I. Um, we used to call her Knock-Kneed and Pigeon-Toed. We had a song for that. She would cry. We would consider it a success if we made her cry. And uh, we were shitty that way. She... Uh, also was uh, someone who would get her feelings hurt easily. If we had a family gathering, she would always at some point march off uh, crying, upset by something somebody said. And um, years later in life, I, I really started to have a much better relationship with her. And um, she had moved up to Connecticut. She had gotten married, had a child. And uh, I was really getting to the part uh, where... You know, we can get past of all, all the childhood stuff and have an adult relationship and be adults and about everything. And and uh, and uh, that's when she got diagnosed. And, and there was a moment there where, where uh, she went into remission and we all thought that she was going to beat it because that's what you think. And you try to uh, keep your spirits up and everybody else's spirits up by thinking that this is going to be surmountable. And it turns out to be not surmountable. So the last time I visited her up in the northwest corner of Connecticut, um, it was devastating because she was uh, getting hospice care. They were administering painkillers and the cancer was eating her brain. And uh, one of the last things she said to me, she pointed at me and she said, you're the one who's funny on the radio. And... Um, I had to run outside because I just started crying and whimpering, and I was a mess, and uh, she was gone not long after that. And uh, I got up and, and spoke at her memorial service because she was cremated, and uh, somewhere I still have uh, what it is I said, but I talked about her being the center of our family, 
and wondering how the family would hold once the center was gone. And I'm not sure that it did. So, My sister Joni merged with the infinite. Another family member of my marriage is next on the list, and that would be Keith, my brother-in-law, Keith, who, uh, when I was a kid, was the coolest guy I knew. He uh, was good-looking. He had blonde hair. He wore bell-bottoms. He smoked. He worked on cars. He had a red fastback barracuda. It was really loud. He rode a Harley-Davidson chopper. He wore leather. My sister fell in love with him. And uh, they moved to the uh, storage shed out back of our house, the thing that we called the barn because it looked like a barn. But upstairs there was, uh, I would say... 12 by 16 room and uh it was unheated it had no plumbing but they moved up there anyway and she was a teenager i believe my sister when she met keith and um they got married eventually they they had kids they had uh three kids together and um keith had his struggles as well with alcohol and drugs again uh, another theme on this list of these people that I've lost since 2000 uh, but I always liked Keith I always got along with him and I and I knew that there was trouble in my sister's marriage and by trouble I mean that like uh, Keith he um, had the same issues that a lot of alcoholics have in terms of like work and uh, there may have been some uh, domestic abuse as well um and i you know i'm not sure of what variety it was i'm not even sure to what form it took but uh, i know that my sister uh, went through a lot with him and they had their ups and downs and they would uh and, and you know split up and then separate and then get back together and it was it was a long time in dissolution but uh, the last time I, I saw Keith, it was a hell of a day. Again, these things always happen around the holidays. I'm not sure why, but that, I guess that's because that's when I would go out there. But uh, I remember doing, uh, I remember drinking with Keith. I remember smoking pot and I remember doing coke all in the same day, all in the course of the same evening with him. And, uh, the weirdest part was when I was settled down on the couch in my sister's house, you know, Keith and my sister's house, and trying to fall asleep after a long day. And uh, he found me on the couch, and he he said this thing to me that was very cryptic at the time. I didn't know what the hell he was talking about, but he kept saying, "If if uh, he said, you know, you've always you've always been nice to me, you've always been my favorite." Uh, I, you know, I don't get along all that well, and he named my brothers, but uh, you I always got along with, and he gave me $30 in cash, <laughs> and I'm still not sure why, and he said something about it, and if if uh, your sister thinks she's getting the kids, she's got another thing coming, and I, 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 at that point, there was no inkling of a divorce, so I didn't know what the hell he was talking about, and I just, I went to sleep. Well, some years ago... Uh, my sister and Keith had been divorced for a number of years, and Keith was off living in uh, uh, 
uh, the Midwest somewhere. It might have been Ohio. It might have been Illinois. I, I don't remember, but he was driving a truck for a living. And he died. And uh, I think it was a case again of um, addictions. I'm not going to say for sure, but I think. This is Aerial View, the Day of the Dead edition. I'm talking about some folks I know who merged with the infinite and going alphabetically. These are people who uh, I've lost since 2000. I'm trying to limit it to that. And the next is another very recent one and another WFMU death. That would be Kenneth Green, a.k.a. X-Ray Burns, who uh, died not that long ago. And uh, I think he was my age. I think we were the same age. And um, took took a lot of people by surprise. We didn't know about it until uh, just, just about the end. And um, apparently it was something that was kept quiet for quite a while. But... Uh, he uh, had some kind of cancer. Um, and again, I'm not sure what kind, but that cancer, it's a motherfucker. As I said, it'll take you down. X-Ray, whenever people talk about him, and we talked about him a lot at the funeral uh, where he was laid out in an open casket at the front of the room. A lot of us said the same thing. Like, we didn't agree with him on a lot of things, especially politics, Uh he, he held conservative views. He espoused conservative views. And uh, I thought they were ridiculous. Uh, but it didn't make me like him any less. Personally, he was a very lovable guy. And it had to do with his uh, joie de vivre, his joy in life, the joy he found in life, and his uh, r- r- incredibly acerbic sense of humor. Um, he could... He could drop a line that would make you spit food out of your mouth and make uh, the liquid run from your nose. And um, he was one of those cats you thought would be uh, be checking out early, but not that early. Just because he burned the candle at both ends. And every time he would post a, a photo of his latest meal on uh, Facebook or Twitter or wherever he's posting them, they looked like crime scene photos, and the crime was the abuse that was happening to his body. So, but uh, as someone who uh, chain smoked as well, I'm not sure his consideration ever was. I'm gonna live to a ripe old age, and that's totally legit. I don't know how you feel about that, but you know, it's your life. Do with it what you will. And uh, X-Ray leaves a massive void there on uh, Sunday afternoons and cannot and will not be replaced. This is Aerial View on thehoundnyc.com and uh, about 12 minutes left in the program. Let's see if I can get to these remaining folks in that time. Number here again is 760. I call AV 760 422 5528. Gee, I hope nobody dies while I'm doing this show. Then what will I do? Hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, one of these days I'll do a show about those who are dead to me which is, you know, a totally different show. 
because I was thinking about somebody that I saw at the X-Ray Burns funeral who, uh, despite the fact there was a corpse at the front of the room, uh, it, this uh, had no impact on uh, this person deciding to cross the room and speak with me, which uh, I should have found surprising, but I didn't. So uh, we jump from K to M on the list, and you know, admittedly, this list is very haphazard. It's very half-assed because uh, it was put together from memory. And if I sat down, I thought about it, and I went and looked, I could probably find more names of people who have left me since the turn of the century. But here we are. And if there was an honorable mention, there would be my wife's mother, who I never met. And uh, my wife's stepmother's mother, who I met many times and liked. But we arrive at uh, my dad, Mario. And uh, Mario, and I'm going to group them together, and Mario Jr., my brother, because they died within a week of each other. Uh, Back in, uh, oh, geez. 2005? No, it couldn't have been. I'm going to say 2008? 2009, maybe? I could probably look it up, but again, it doesn't really matter, does it? Uh, oh, yeah. Died January 28th, 2011. My brother, Mario Jr. January 28th, 2011, and my father was dead within a week of that. So, 2011. And I know earlier I said my mother died in 2011, but then she must have died later than that. Something tells me. Got it all wrong. Uh, But my dad, let's start with him, because, uh, you know, that was a broken relationship as well. I spoke uh, earlier about my mother and that being a broken relationship, but the one with my father especially... uh, was explained years later, like the the nature of our relationship, which was shitty. There's just no other way to put it. I I, I got the distinct feeling my father didn't uh, like me, didn't care that I was above ground, uh, took no interest in my life, took no interest in my well-being, took little to no interest in my um, uh, future success, you name it. And, and years later, uh, I found out why. It's because my dad didn't think I was his kid. Uh, when I uh, helped him move to uh, Memphis, Tennessee in 1987, uh, Kaz and I helped him and his third wife, Karen, move there. And uh, one night we were in a motel in Lebanon, Tennessee, and we wanted to borrow his Plymouth Horizon, we being Kaz and I to drive into nearby Nashville because we had never been. And my father utterly refused, did not trust me, thought I was going to get into an accident, thought I was going to get drunk, destroy his car. If you've ever seen a Plymouth Horizon, it should be destroyed, by the way. That car should be destroyed. It's a piece of garbage. It's a little Econobox car that the uh, proud Mopar Corporation should have been embarrassed, I say embarrassed, to produce. That's neither here nor there. The point is, we ended up sitting in his conversion van for a few hours in the rain, talking. And and uh, during that conversation, it came out that um, he was under the impression, and had been for years, that 
my mother's boyfriend, the woman, uh, you know, the uh, the man that she took up with after my parents divorced, this guy Justin was my actual father, and um, he he laid out this theory for me why he thought that, and it utterly blew my mind, and he left me holding the bag, as they say. And uh, I don't know how quickly I, I actually asked my mother the question, but eventually I got around to asking her. And she said, quote, your father's out of his fucking mind. So uh, he said it again when I tried to reconcile with him years later. Um, I called him up because uh, we didn't have a very good relationship. And uh, we started talking again and eventually I went down and visited him in Jupiter, Florida and he told me that story again. I mean, I brought it up probably to get some more details and he and he again said why he thought he I wasn't his child. And he added, I uh, it didn't matter. I loved you just the same anyway. And in my mind I'm thinking, oh no you didn't. No, 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 no. Oh, you know you didn't. So, uh, I've told this story before, so I'll, I'll just make this quick. Eventually, I did a 23andMe test of my DNA with my cousin JD, and it turned out that, yes, my dad was my dad. And he is, as my mother said it, out of, out of his fucking mind. So, um, again, someday I will examine in depth what it meant to have that kind of father and that kind of relationship with a father. But, uh, Mario Jr., my brother, who, uh, before he passed, started calling me and leaving the most uh, pathetic voicemail messages you ever heard, uh, looking for money. And I would make the mistake sometimes of calling him back, and I'd be on the phone with him for hours, and it was obvious he was on something, and I couldn't tell what it was, but it was making him uh, real slow and difficult to talk to, and he would get stuck in these conversational loops and he would repeat himself and it was just, it was really painful really painful and eventually I stopped answering the phone and I, I still have the voicemails um, they break my heart I, I mean I thought about playing them here but it, it just is too voyeuristic and, and too shitty it would be too shitty to do that so I won't uh, but uh, I always felt terrible that I didn't return those calls and I stopped taking his calls. And I know I have a rationale, but doesn't matter really. He uh, he died and uh, there is a lot of evidence and I, I found the evidence when I went to clean up his house down there in Florida. Do you know, I don't like Florida. Did you know that? Uh, of opioid abuse, that he was doctor shopping and he... Uh, was one of those deaths. Uh, how many have there been? 400,000 people who died uh, from painkiller abuse, including fentanyl. So uh, let's get to the last person on this list, and that would be Mike, my former nihilistics bandmate, the guy who uh, I can make a pretty good case, you know, set me off in my direction in life that led to everything that happened subsequently. Uh, when we formed the band, The Nihilistics. And I, I've written about Mike, and, and there's a piece coming out in this art and literary journal called Carrier Pigeon. I'm very proud of it. I'll, I'll let you know more when it actually comes out. But 
I wrote a piece about uh, one of the last shows that the Nihilistics ever did. Um, and I plan on expanding on that story about Mike because I think there's a lot there to tell. And I think uh, it's a story I could tell about myself and about him. Uh, but Mike was a very difficult person in my life. Uh, last time I saw him, he tried to choke me to death. I've told that story as well, but uh, he actually said before he tried to choke me to death, would you mind if I choke you? And if anyone ever asks you that, just say no, and then run, screaming from the room. So, uh, And I, I thought he was going to kill me. Uh, the breath was going out of me. If it wasn't for his wife in the next room running in and uh, jumping on his back and pulling him off of me, I, I don't know if I would be talking to you right now. So uh, that's in that carrier pigeon piece, if memory serves. But uh, Mike died uh, some years back and... Like a lot of folks on this list, what got him? Why, yes, it was cancer. So uh, if there's any takeaways from this list is uh, don't abuse drugs and alcohol and don't get cancer. And uh, with that, I will wrap up this uh, Day of the Dead list for today here on Aerial View. And uh, thanks to all of you who are listening and those who will listen via the podcast. Don't forget Sunday, a new Hound Howl at 3 p.m. Eastern, and then followed by Crashing the Party with Mark and Miriam at 5 p.m. Eastern, the doo-wop chop shop of the air. You can find me at facebook.com slash callarialview. And uh, if you'd like to leave a message, the voicemail is always going. Just don't ask me for money, okay? 760-I-CALL-AV, 760-422-5528. And uh, thanks for listening. got a friend just remember the death is not the end and all that you held sacred falls down and does not mend just remember that death is not the end not the end not the end just remember that death is not the end When you're standing on the crossroads that you cannot comprehend Just remember that death is not the end Yeah.
when storm clouds gather round and heavy rains descend, just remember that death is not the end. And there's no.